0: Hey there. Do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com or shoot him a call at 773-340-1286. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer they are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs and don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order hey what you're about to hear is the first ever first ever podcast live taping that we've ever done it took place at brain dead studios on february 6th 2023 my guest is justin pearson He's been in a million bands including The Locust, Swing Kids, Struggle, Dead Cross, Holy Molar, Some Girls, Headwound City, you get the idea. There's a whole lot. Deaf Club, Retox, tons and tons. We get into a lot of this stuff, but I want to let you know before we go to that interview that there's a bonus episode available right now where Justin answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. We recorded this the following week after this show and after we played together for the Touche Amore 15-year anniversary shows. So that is available if you go to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Thank you so much. And without further ado, here you go. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first ever, first ever live podcast. It means a lot that you're all here. Some of you might not realize this is happening, but that's also something I will explain now. Um, Friday and Saturday, the band I uh, I play in, is called Touche Amore. We're celebrating our 15 year anniversary shows. Thank you. And uh, to coincide with it, uh, Madison, who's a kind person who works here at Brain Dead, we talked about doing this, and uh, he was nice enough to let us... But before it, I do a podcast. I've been doing it for a couple of years now. It's called The First Ever Podcast, and uh, I interview different artists about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today, and uh, the guest I have tonight I'm very excited about. He's been in a bazillion bands, including The Locust, including Holy Molar. Some girls, retox, dead cross. I think this can go on for a really long time. I want everyone to welcome Justin Pearson. Uh, I love this guy. <laughs> There's uh, there's a lot of people in the audience I know who uh, who do podcasts. There's a, a wonderful f- person in the crowd who's actually been a guest. His name is Steve. Uh, he does he does some great podcasts. And um, people that do podcasts know that like it's sometimes hard to, uh, to figure out when it's time to do a to have a guest on. And Justin is someone that I've been lucky enough to know for a long time. But the. It just hasn't happened yet. And when this opportunity arose, I felt like this was going to be the perfect one. So, Sucker. <laughs> um. we, I think it'd be kind of fun to talk about uh, the way we met. I don't know if you've ever thought about it a second time, but it's really, it's an adorable story. And it is actually podcast related. So a couple of year, bunch of years ago at this point now, there's a podcast called Going Off Track. They did it in New York. And uh, I did an episode... And as I was going to leave, the two co-hosts were like, or the two hosts were like, hey, we have Justin Pearson coming on next. Do you want to co-host it? I'm from California. You're from California. I've known who you are for ever since I found punk music, basically. And uh, you're someone I've always been, I was always intimidated by. <laughs> so I said to the, co- to the host, I said, I've never met that guy. He kind of scares me a little bit. Um, can I make my decision based on how nice he is when I meet him? And they're like, yeah, for sure, totally. So then we met in the lobby right after, and he was so sweet that I looked at them and I was like, I'm in. So the first time we met was kind of on mic. But Okay, so I was psyched, and I already knew that you were going to be part of it, and
1: I was like, Just there for the free Converse because it was like a Converse thing, and I was like, I need some shoes. (laughs) Right, but they were like, Yeah, Jeremy, and I was like, Oh shit, this will be so cool. This will be really, really fun.
0: So I was already on board. So that's very sweet. Um, So yeah, we can. So uh, I know you were born in Chicago, but then you moved very quickly to Arizona. And something that I read that you said was you had thought about what your life maybe would have been like had you actually stayed in Chicago. And I'm kind of curious if you've reflected on that any further in the sense of, like, what kind of music do you scene do you think you would have found? Like, do you think you would have gone the, like, Los Crudos route or, like, the ministry route or the Naked Reagan route? Like, who do you think you would have turned out to be?
1: The, the first two routes would have been ideal, and I think I've gone those routes. But I, I really do think that... Um, I mean, it's hard to speculate because, when, you know, if I stayed in, in, in Chicago, I would never have done the things and met the people and started the bands, and I would have just done something else completely different, so it's, it is a weird thing. If we had a time machine, we could probably see what the other um, parallel, whatever, you know, th- outcomes could have been. Sure.
0: Well, guess what? We have a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> um, see, but you ended up in Phoenix, mm. and uh, you love it oh, there. Fuck uh, that place. <laughs> and- um, but, uh, I know you were there until just about teenage years, right? You moved to San Diego when you were about 13. Mm. Um, were you into music at a young age? Like, did, like, did you find stuff at a super young age on your own? Yeah. I mean, so I was tricked by Kiss. Uh, I
1: was born in 1975 and I was tricked by them, you know, like they looked fucking cool. And then I remember being on this vacation in, uh, in, in Flagstaff, Arizona and, it was such a, I have like the craziest memory. My dog took a shit in the back of the, the car and it was it's snowing and there was like steam coming off. And I remember thinking like, this song fucking totally sucks. And, and then I was like, and they're like, that was the new single from Kiss. It was the song Beth, which is like terrible. And I heard that that's their biggest song ever. And I'm like, this is fucked up. So the dog shit thing and the, everything kind of went full circle. And I was like, dude, I like this band for the weirdest reasons. And it's not musical. So it took a minute. Um, and then I don't want to say like the, I mean, there was just like things that kept happening, like, oh, I like music, I like this, like that, and you know, 1984 by Van Halen came out, and I was obsessed with that shit, but I think I was already hip to the um, early 80s, like tape clubs that you could join, and I I would do it, um, I did the postcard and fill it out, and, and like, not tell my mom, and then I would put fake names so she wouldn't have to pay for it, and I would get like, you know, Cindy Lauper and Billy Idol and all the regular people
0: music. Um, so I was already like on that, like the Columbia House Something record club. Like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, that's fascinating. Do you think that your early attraction to Kiss, based on the what they look like, the gimmick aspect of it, don't, don't was? Do it. Was what made you interested, though? You know oh, I'm oh, sure, like, like sure, mommy, yeah. I like, thought you were gonna go somewhere else with that. No, no, no. But I mean, like in this, I mean, obviously, you've played you as a member of the Locust. That is very uh, costume based. Do you think that that got in your head? It is the uniform. They're yeah. different
1: than a costume.
0: So that. Is, <laughs> I mean, I grew up like
1: really. Yeah, like, they looked totally cool, just like, you know, Voltron did or whatever. I was just like, oh, my God, they look like, you know, things, demons and stuff. That's rad. And the music was secondary. It wasn't until, like, I figured out, like, what Devo was, and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Or even, like, I remember seeing some of my parents' records, like, the later Beatles stuff when they got, uh, you know, into drugs and mustaches. They, like, looked cool. They, like, looked uniform, and I was like, that's the shit. So, I think that, like, an aesthetic is important. You know, we can look at, like, the most obvious thing, like, like I don't know, the Ramones. Like, they all look like a band. Like, that's pretty rad. I I, I think it's a cool thing to, like, have a vibe, yeah. uh, I guess.
0: No, 100%. What was uh, what was the first concert you went to?
1: Shaka Khan. <clears throat> yeah. At age seven. It was crazy. It was really fucking crazy because I was in Arizona, and it's super racist, and, I mean, my family was pretty white trash, and... I sorry I guess that's not right to say that but we were white something and and we were literally the only white people in this in this at this concert and my parents were so scared and I was like this is fucking cool um, but again like I realized that she only really had like the one song that I liked which was like kind of based in like hip hop and stuff and that was like I was starting to kind of get into like Tommy Boy and er- like er- the early like legit hip hop stuff yeah. so I-, I went to Shaka Khan, I was like, oh, I just like the one song. It's weird. It had scratching in it, and I was like, oh, wow, the cool sounds. It sounds like a robot, you know, and that's, think, but, like, my first real concert, I, you know, like, the real thing was The Cramps at t- age 12, and that was, like, the most life-changing thing for a 12-year-old kid.
0: Wow, and that like, was in Arizona?
1: No, it was in San Diego. Okay. I still lived in Arizona, and I, uh, my dad was killed when I was younger, and, and so we we're like in the process of moving to San Diego and I was like, mom, I want to go to this concert, you know, and <laughs> my mom's insane. She let me and my friend go. I was 12 years old. Like, you know, go see the cramps. And there's like a dude in like patent leather pants, like shoving the microphone in his pants. And I was like, yeah, that's the shit. <laughs> and it got and, it, and it's cool. Like I really appreciate my mom for letting me do that. She had no idea <laughs> what I was doing, but of course. Yeah. 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 And, um, I learned We're a lot. seeing
0: the building blocks as to what became you.
1: I mean, <laughs> okay, and I met them, and that was the thing. Like, uh, I looked like a twelve-year-old a version of Sid Vicious at that point, and I, I remember just asking this lady that worked at the venue, like, "Hey, can you get them to sign my shirt?" And she was like, "Sure." You're little and cute, and yeah. <laughs> and so she took my shirt, and I waited, and everybody left, and I was sitting there waiting, and then she's like, "Okay, come with me," and I was like oh to get my shirt and then she opens the door and I'm backstage with the cramps and you know and like poison ivy she's like you're cute and kissed me on my forehead and Lux Interior like hugged me and I was like oh my god this is wild because fuck Gene Simmons like you guys are the shit you know like like they kind of you know they look they have the vibe and the yeah. look and I was like you guys look cool and like you're way cooler and you're treating me like a you know like I already hated everything at 12 you know like life was fucked up for me and I was like ah I hate the world you know, I'm a nihilist before I knew what it was, and I'm not a nihilist now, but at the time, at age 12, I really was, and I, and I was against everything, and, and so I met them, and I was like, oh, okay, now I have a, you know, parental guide guideline to follow, or <laughs> so,
0: sure, no yeah. one else is parenting me, so I was like... Okay. Sure. Yeah. How soon after that did you get interested in wanting to play an instrument? Um, by accident, my mom
1: cousin let me borrow a guitar. And, I, and so I messed around with it and tried to learn Sex Pistols songs. And then, it, and, then it was, and then shortly after that, it was bass. I don't know why I got into bass. I was really into this band, No Means No. And I was like, oh, that instrument's so cool. Uh, I'm going to do that. And then, and then it was just all downhill from there.
0: Yeah, how did you get your first bass? Asked my mom. Did yeah. you know,
1: I mean, I, I, do stee- I did steal a lot when I was a kid, but I couldn't steal a, a, a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, do you still have it? No, it's no, I broke gone. it. It, went, it left with my first band's last show. It was like part of the thing, you know. It, it broke. <laughs> you guys just sat, it. Oh, okay. it, yeah. it was destroyed, um, as it should have been. It was cool, like, yeah. uh, you know. And is
0: the first band struggle? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah, was, uh, so talk to me about what was the first, because I don't know if I read this, what was the first struggle show? <laughs>
1: This really nice guy, Jeremy, um, from San Diego, booked us in this place called Ramona, which I don't know if anybody, you guys probably do not know about Ramona, but it's east, like super far east, like super redneck, you know, Confederate flag bullshit, San Diego. And it was in a gr- garage. And we were f- 14, 15, 16 years old. Or maybe, no, I think I was the maybe the youngest. It was 15 and 16. And it was just like dudes, like from from like, you know, like suburbia, the movie, yeah, the, the good, the, the good first one. one. Yeah, yeah, the good one. So like, it was like those kind of people, just like, like moshing and like they're drunk and they're probably, I mean, they seemed like they were like forty years old, but they were probably only eighteen. But they were sure. they were like adults and we were yeah, tiny. Yeah, to you, we just like we're just like, you know. Yeah. And there's like yeah. dudes moshing and I'm just like, oh, this is so bizarre. But it was in a garage and there's they're all like racist and shit. <laughs> but it was it was good. Like to yeah. get you know, I got it, I got it out of this my system, and then we played real shows
0: and uh i had read that you had gone to see suicidal tendencies and that kind of was like the oh shit we should do this is that is that fair to say i mean it was already kind of like
1: on the on the like i don't know whatever our subconscious that we should start a band we we, we all like me and a couple of my friends were like we could all play in a band. And then and then it um yeah, it, it was funny because I went back to Arizona with my friend Jose Palafox, who became the who was the drummer of the first couple bands I was in and 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 we went to see Suicidal. It was so crazy because Pantera opened and they still were like wow. like Phil had like a Mohawk. He wasn't like a it didn't I think they went like punk to glam to White Power or something like that. <laughs> so <laughs> so it was like it was like still okay at that point. But uh, <laughs> They didn't. They were not the cowboys from hell yet, but they. But right. it was. Um, but that didn't matter because we were really into suicidal. That first suicidal record and the second one are fucking killer. Right. And so we were just like yes. And it, it, but it really wasn't about the music to me. It was. It was this sort of like. Um, i don't know like our disgust with 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 humanity and and what and what the world was like to us we, we wanted to to react you know and because uh, me and jose were like obsessed with bands like um, like the dead kennedys and stuff and so it was we were we were inherently already on this like political tip and 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 we were already kind of working with um the revolutionary communist youth brigade, which was kind of crazy to like be like, Yeah, I'm fifteen, I'm a communist, you know, or fourteen and and, and that was a strange thing to, to, to kind of like engage in. And, but we were very politically motivated. And it there was all these there were we were in Phoenix and there was all these white power skins at a suicide tenancy show and we we're just like, This is so fucking stupid. Like let's start a band and like make everybody upset, you know, make them upset or whatever,
0: like talk the shit. Yeah. It's, I mean, when you look at the artwork for the struggle releases, not the split, but like the the 7-inch and the LP, it's like, you go through the liner notes and it's like basically just a pamphlet. You know what I'm we saying? Were like, but we
1: were totally copying Downcast. Sure. Yeah. But the split 7-inch uh, with Undertow was, yeah. was the best because the real cover is our drummer, Jose Palapox, getting arrested at a protest in Los Angeles. It was an International Workers' Day May Day, May 1st um, protest, and he like... You know, they arrested him, beat the shit out of him, you know, LAPD yeah, style. Sure. And and he went and they were like, How old are you? And he's like, He's you know, he he was seven he was sixteen or seventeen, told him he was eighteen and went to jail and then uh, you know, I don't know, like we just had he has an awesome mom, but his mom was like, not going to find out that he was up here protesting. And he, all she knew is she, he was probably like staying at my house or something. And so yeah, but yeah, like who gets to be, uh, in their first punk band and, and have your photo of <laughs> getting arrested by LAPD, like not just like Sick. stupid arrested, like beaten up and like cuffed and like, you know, he looked cool. He had a Mohawk and like, yeah, he's getting arrested. Just and, instant yeah. cred
0: and just put it right on the cover. Yeah. Um, yeah, you guys, and then, you know, something I found interesting is uh, with that split being the first thing. Actually, this is a good question. I couldn't find any information on who recorded I don't know. any of that stuff.
1: Yeah, I don't know either.
0: Truthfully. Yeah. Struggle? Wow. Yeah. I mean, we were, like, cause I was I ask, 15 years old. I had sure. no idea. But like, I didn't know if there was maybe like a, a studio that you guys played like hourly at or was it, it like... There's a place
1: called Double Time, which recorded the LP, but at the 7-inch, oh. I have no idea. It was like some like, like butt rock thing. They were just like, you know, they did, they thought we were like stupid and... Yeah. We thought they were stupid and they just recorded us for however much an hour, you know.
0: Sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I was so fascinated cuz <laughs> yeah. I was like there's
1: literally no information about who recorded any of this stuff. There are tapes that I would love to get remixed because they they it was everything was like flange and like, you know, it was just like dude, no, it's like
0: we want to sound yeah. like a hardcore metal,
1: you know, thing or whatever.
0: So the first thing the circle did was that split with undertow and that came no,
1: out No, no, that's a, the 7-inch was the first thing.
0: Discogs you lied to me. Um, it might have came out before. They said 94. No, ninety. Uh, the internet anyway, lies, man. Anyway, I was curious, though, because the person who ran that label is out of New Jersey, Blood mm. Inc., right? Yeah. Oh, no, did, no, no, no. Um, Bloodlink. Blood link. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. How, uh, how did you get that set up? Like, how did that come your way to um, put out a record at that age with someone we, from across the country? We made, like, this demo thing,
1: like a, I don't know, like a four-track thing, and we mailed it to a couple labels and, um and one of them was, um, I can't remember the names. What's the, the guy that sang in Dead Dead Guy, the singer? Tim Tim Singer. Tim singer. Yeah. He was in this band, No Escape, who was right. like super sick. And, yeah. and I sent that record label to put out the No Escape's inch a, a, a cassette. And we're like, we want to be on a record label. And Scott and Tim were friends or something. And he was like, like here's all the crap that these people send me. And then so Scott was like, oh, I want to do something. Wow. But actually, maybe, man, I don't know. I, feel, I thought I had a brain like an elephant, but I don't. Because now that I think about it, we actually already recorded. So the 7-inch and the Split 7-inch were the same session. And okay. so um, we had the extra two songs, and we sent those,
0: and that was what he ended up doing, the Split. Got it. That so, makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. And then Because, yeah, you guys were also one of the first bands on Ebullition, which obviously has a very beloved... History and big the, discography and everything like I mean, that. There was a lot of stuff on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got, but I mean, think you're like number five. No, no, no. There's no uh, way.
1: Well, okay. Well, also the first recording like I downcast. Re- but there was like Admiral and. Um, but, yep, and a Born
0: Again split, and a Comp. the Give me back Comp. That was the first thing Struggle ever was on. Okay. Right, yeah. Which, is which cooler. has like Bikini Kill on it and stuff. Oh, yeah, is, like, Bikini Kill and, and, and
1: Born Against. And it's fully stacked with like rad stuff, which is crazy for like a 15-year-old. I remember coming home from the studio and be like, Mom, check out what I did. And she's just like, whatever. And it <laughs> sounds like you guys are all yelling and out of tune. <laughs> which you were. But it was, you know, yeah. So I, I will... I mean it's cool to be like oh I was 15 or 16 when when the Struggle 7 inch came out but yeah. I do think that like being 15 years old on a on the Give Me Back compilation with all of those artists was is just I'm not trying to suck my own dick but like that's a big fucking deal like yeah. and it was cool cuz it was like a it was like a women's rights and 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 uh LGBTQ rights um like support you know uh album I think it, I don't know if it was a benefit cuz no one ever made money on on ebullition. I think it was just kind of like check it out we're like totally. These, this is our pol- you know
0: our politics and then yeah. and then people were like into it. Um and then uh what was cuz I mean yeah you were touring at like 15 16 what was do you remember what the first struggle tour was? <laughs> Our, my first show
1: out of San Diego was in Boyle Heights at this place called The Dust Bowl, and someone got shot and killed outside. It was like, Boyle, it was Boyle Heights before you guys gentrified it, but it was like, um, <laughs> not you guys, but like the you guys, and it was fucking sketchy, you know, but I was, yeah. I mean, we were just like, whatever, it's cool to play, you know. Outside of San Diego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we did, um, we went up to... We do up the coast or something. We went to Seattle or something like that or Vancouver, which is crazy. Like I'm 15, like leaving the country. But we played in TJ a, a bit and stuff too in Tijuana. Yeah. And that's just pretty crazy to for me to think back like I was a 15 year old kid playing in other countries. Was yeah, was that there, my mom didn't know about. Was yeah. there any eighteen year old in the van at all? No. <laughs> I was to oh, say Rob from um Peachy's and um I don't know, Rob, he's amazing. Uh, he, he he drove us and he might have been eighteen.
0: I was just say like to cross into Canada seems tough for someone when you're it's just a bunch of kids. I don't know how we did it. Yeah, it seems so
1: bizarre. But this is
0: like, I mean, yeah, the political climate was way different. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Damn. Uh, and then so that band breaks up, and then you start Swing Kids mm-hmm. directly after that. Um, and I was curious what the motivation was when that band started. Was it just like you had a new group of friends? Was there any crossover? Was there anyone from Struggle that was in Swing Kids? You yeah, know, right? yeah,
1: almost everybody. Okay, with uh, uh, just different. I played Plus bass Eric and then Allen, I started right? singing. Yeah, yeah, Eric Allen and Jose Palafox. And the thing with I think. Y- I don't, you know, we all, hopefully, musicians or artists or whatever, learn, like, as you go on and, and and you get better. So, like, we were just, like, political, struggle was, like, political, and we were just all these things, like, burning the flag, and we were hated every cop and, like, you know, it was, which is was cool and stuff, but it was, it took a minute to go, like, oh, this is very jarring and maybe we're just too preachy and people just don't want to hear us say a bunch of crazy shit, especially in the, you know, what was it, like, 90 or something. Like, I, I don't think we were still dealing, this is, like pre-first gulf war you know like we were still like in a completely different world at that point so when, and then but we got all this like i don't know we were into the politics and stuff but then the thing that changed the game was was um probably antioch arrow they, they and we were like oh we're into like cool shit <laughs> and there was this line being drawn because we were fully like a part of the ebullition crowd and yeah. and that scene but ebullition started talking all this shit about antioch arrow and saying that they were like not a real, you know, hardcore or something like that. And they cared about their fashion and this and that. And we were just like, oh man, Antioch Arrow is way better than everything <laughs> yeah. that's uh, you know, except for like Born Against or whatever. But everything that like I just it was like it was so cool. We were, we were so we were, we kinda like went uh in, in the the like artsy route, which I think now people call Ebo or something terrible like that. Um Sure. Something.
0: Yeah, I was curious how much uh, how present you were. I assume you were very present for the start of that whole scene between like Angel Hair, Antioch Arrow, Heroin, like all those bands that were starting. Was Were you seeing those bands like form and start playing their first shows?
1: Yeah, so Heroin was before all of those bands and yeah. so Struggle played a lot with Heroin. Even like they played my high school with Struggle and and I don't know what year that was but it was, uh, I think I was, uh, I don't know, I can't remember but it um but they were completely different. They had a, the singer play drums, and it was like a totally different lineup, you know? So I saw struggle, like... I mean, I saw um, heroin change. Like, even when they played the high school, like, we couldn't put the word heroin on the flyer. <laughs> and I was like, why? <laughs> I didn't really understand what the heroin epidemic was all sure. about. I was just like, that's a cool band. Just yeah. put em. So we had to spell it backwards.
0: <laughs> oh, that's what you did. Yeah, so we you had just threw an E at the s- end. No, no. Oh, yeah.
1: But it was weird because... Uh, it was a weird show. This band Face Value
0: played. Okay, Do you yeah. know that terrible yeah, yeah, hardcore yeah. band? Yeah, they played. Yeah. It was bad. Wow. Um, and then, so, with, uh, with reading your book, I was very entertained by uh, the first Swing Kids tour overseas. It sounds like an absolute nightmare. Um, yeah. So, from what I understand, you flew over, and it was the classic situation where you show up, and you're like, all right, so, like, what happens now? And then, like, none of the shows were booked, and there was no transportation. Kinda, we did like a bunch of
1: stuff in England, and then they're like, "All right, get on this this train or I don't know, bus or whatever boat and go to France." And then they'll be there, and they'll do the rest of your tour. And we get there, and everyone's like, "Who the fuck are you guys?" And so we we're like, "Oh, cool, we're playing like one show, and then we have two weeks off." To, and like, we stayed in France and like got beat up and like all this weird stuff, and we didn't know what to do. And you know, I was I was twenty, you know, and, yeah. and we didn't have real jobs or like. So skills survival. We had survival skills, I guess. Um, it was a weird time. Uh, uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> there was something that I mentioned that I need to to expand on, though, which was that you ran into the filming of a international family matters episode. Oh, Urkel, where yeah. J- Jaleel White was hanging out, yeah. and you guys ended up kind of hanging out with him.
1: He was fully Urkel. At the at the um, he was fully Urkel. They were filming like a one of the episodes, yeah. and it was so crazy because there was like you know they had it blocked off, and and there were like a bunch of people watching, and I guess they knew what was going on, and 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 he was like kind of talking to the fans, and for whatever reason he just like gravitated to the four of us because we looked bizarre, I think, at the time, and he, and then he was just like he broke character and didn't have the voice and stuff and it was we were just like oh what a weird thing Erkel <laughs> in France and we had just got beaten beaten up these these like kids came out of the like the the like I don't know what city like the the like the Paris projects or something you know and they were like talking all this shit and we're like, dude none of us speak French this is crazy but Jose could kind of understand um because they're both um, derived from Latin, so he was kind of like, what, cigarettes, we don't smoke. And they're like, look at you guys, you totally smoke. And so they just started hitting us with rocks and shit. <laughs> we had to run off, and we didn't even smoke. And It was really bizarre. It's very jarring. And then we just went and saw Urkel. And then the, ran into Urkel, yeah, yeah. As, as one does. This is pretty much like the 47 years of my life have been <laughs> like that all the time. It's really crazy. <laughs>
0: um, uh, I often say, and I'm curious if you, if... This might uh, dispel that, but um, that situation sounds terrible with, like, your shows getting, bo- uh, getting you know, they fall apart. But it sounded like you got taken care of, at least, by, like, you had a place to stay in France with some people who, like, helped the band out and, like, let you guys stay with them, right? That, sounds- that was
1: awesome. Yeah. And I was so stoked. But it was totally bizarre and crazy because, like, at some point we had all these dates and then we had to go play this festival, this Eper Festival and, and and it's a it's a kind of like a bigger hardcore. Yeah, you for sure. sure you, maybe you've played yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so we played like the first one I think or maybe oh, something like that. It was yeah. like one of like the really early ones and so yeah. they're like, all right, we're going and so we were just like, cool, thank you very much and we were driving like, I don't know how far it was. It seemed like forever and they're like picking up random hitchhikers and shit and we're like, dude, there's a bunch of us in this <laughs> van with all of our crap and stuff yeah. and it was like, there's this like this hippie and a Krishna, and we're just like come. They just kept bringing more people in, and we're like, Jesus Christ! This do you do you still know any of those people? No, I wish I could say okay. thank you again to them. Sure. If they hear this podcast, <laughs> yeah. thank you. Because I, I was, often
0: have said on the show that like a lot of people who you meet on your first European tour are mm-hmm. people that are like going to be in your life every time you go there. Well,
1: we met. Um, Vic Martin, Vic Simba, um, she saved our asses um, driving us around. And then Marco Walzel, who does Avocado Booking. Oh, wow, yeah. He, he, he actually booked some last-minute shows for us in Germany. And then that's why he started Avocado Booking. Uh, wow. Because we lived at this house in San Diego called Avocado 500 Club that had shows. Yeah. And so he just, like, borrowed the name and made it Avocado Booking.
0: Wow. And for people listening, when you mentioned Vic, Vic worked at Revelation for... Goddamn ever! Now ever. Pirates Press. Yeah, now yeah. Pirates Press. Yeah, um, she's actually who's responsible for your records not coming in time. <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> it's not. It's not true at all.
1: I'll give a shout out to Pirates because their their turnaround is insane. It's like, oh, here's three months like to get an LP pressed is bizarre. That's happened for yeah.
0: you. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Must be. Must be nice. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> Well, what, you're on Epitaph? Like, yeah. No, I
0: love Epitaph <laughs> too. I know, I know, I know. they no yeah. point fucking fingers. But I, like they're, re-
1: they're reissuing like um, some, some Locust stuff and, yeah. and some Girls record and they're like, yeah, it'll be out in a year. And I'm like, what? Like just wow. press it through Pirates. It's three months.
0: For sure. Um, yeah, E-Profest, uh, they uh their bathroom situation, um, you have to shit in this hamster cage and then you have to scoop... What is like hamster stuff and pour it on your stuff? Cat it's, litter. Uh, it's cat litter, it's absu- right? Yeah. yeah. No, it's like no. literally like hamster cage. I didn't have that problem,
1: <laughs> but okay. I'm also like, you know, I have sur- I have survival skills. So we're like, if the toilets were like that, which they probably were, I guess, we're just like, oh, we're just gonna cruise down to like yeah. where they sell the baguettes and or whatever, yeah, sure. and yeah, yeah, take yeah, a yeah, shit yeah. there,
0: you know. <laughs> um. <clears throat> So you run 31 G Records, which is an awesome record label. Right. Um, and something that I was thinking about is, um, so you start that label, and is the fir- so the first Locust release? If I'm correct, me if I'm wrong, it's the split five inch with Jenny Piccolo.
1: Nope. No. no. Split with Man Is a Bastard on King of the Monsters.
0: Okay, but is that number is that number one for three G?
1: No, number one was Unbroken. Unbroken, right? That's... And then two with Swing Kids. And then three was the Locust. Right, piccolo. okay.
0: But what I'm getting at is mm. so much of the stuff you'd put out was like very... Stupid. Black and white. <laughs> <laughs> like, when I think of like ebullition or I think of Bloodlink, like, it's like very black and white, very like uh, photocopy, whatever. And then I actually thought it'd be funny to I have it in my pocket. So you made the most non-conventional. It's a split five-inch picture disc. Firstly, how did you find someone to make this as a brand new label at that time? And then, also, this is the least fun format to anyone who collects vinyl. So, it's early trolling, which would make sense. But, explain this. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so,
1: I mean, I've been, I I will say, there's a lot to it, so... so, (laughs) I lucked out with 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 struggle being on ebullition, yeah. and it was like we did this these records that looked like you know Crass records or something. It's sure, like, it was all black and white, which is cool and stuff. you yeah. know, vibey or whatever. But it was like it just felt like this thing. Like it was very nice. It wasn't a fold over c- cover. It was a booklet, and it was a really cool package. Right. And then um, Bloodlink did the the thing with the struggle undertow thing and, and he like shit the bed and like couldn't get it together and changed all the artwork and never, you know, like we never got paid. And I was like, Hey, we think you should maybe pay us. And he's like, here's 50 bucks. I'm like, Oh, you sold like 8,000 copies and that's it. You know,
0: music business. So
1: baby. yeah, but I, so I started kind of seeing yeah. these things. So I was like, I'm going to start a label and I'm going to fucking do the raddest thing ever. And, uh, you know, make it the craziest shit. And, and so Eric Allen, who was in swing kids was like, I got an idea. You should release this um, unbroken record, and then also re, re-release the Swing Kids seven-inch because that was on another label uh, originally. Who did the same thing, changed the cover, like made t-shirt art without us like being part of it. The, the stuff, and and so I was like, okay, you know, unbroken and Swing Kids cool, and the Swing Kids one we we did it the right way, but it was still kind of black and white, and it was like this minimalist thing. The unbroken one, I wanted it to, to be like awesome and, like, cool and, like, a real binded cover, but Eric Allen was like, nah, it has to be, like, DIY before DIY was a thing, but we, but he was referencing, like, bands like Force Down and, and stuff and maybe Heroin, which Vinyl Communications were doing with, like, rubber stamps, and it was this kind of, like, arts and crafts kind of thing, which was cool, but I was like, oh, man, I want to do, like, cool shit. So those two records came out, and The Locust had just started, and I was like, I got this idea. Like, it's the most insane thing. And it is crazy because it's the cost of a 5-inch is is a picture disc, which is a lot, but also it's the the cost of a 7-inch plus an additional fee to make it a 5-inch. So you're paying more than a a bigger record, and and there's no reason you should do it. And then I was... um, (laughs) But we but you know i i again like the the printing that comes with it was all stolen from kinkos we would just go steal uh, our own copy key and we'd go switch the keys and we'd make like 2000 copies and then pay for four you know and then yeah. and then that was free but it was the it was still in the era where you could couldn't sell your record for more than like 2 2. Yeah. no 250 sure so i was like this thing costs 350 to make you know i mean we're going to lose a dollar on every one but <laughs> I think we I think we like sold it for what the cost was, right? Which didn't help gas on tour or anything like that, you know. <laughs> um, we were bad people though at the time. We would steal a lot, yeah. But we were ethical criminals because we would steal from like vending machines mainly. Um, back then, you could um, take tape dollars with like packing tape on it, and you could. It's called grooving, and you put the dollar in, and then you pull the money. You pull it, pull it out, and then you get the change. And then you just do it at every gas station or hotel or whatever. Yeah, yeah, And then we started stealing other stuff. (laughs) We started... That's how we went on tour. We just stole a ton of shit. But we were always, like, robbing, like, Coke or fucking, you know, whoever. Like, the corporations. Like, we were... You know, again, we were still... We were still... I mean, I I think it's insane to be like, oh, I was a communist. I mean, I, I naively thought I was a communist. But, like, we were kind of on this... I think they call it now radical leftist tip or something, sure. so we were kind of like let 's just fuck over the man and like destroy the the things
0: <laughs> um, how did uh how soon into the uh, into the locus did you guys start doing the uniforms? The uniforms uniforms um, <laughs> we had
1: we had like i mean that that's that 's an interesting question because you, you you there are like the actual uniforms but, but the reason why the uniforms even happened was before that. Uh, Jessica Hopper, who I think's like a pretty um, big time journalist now, she yeah. had this uh, magazine called Hit It or Quit It, and there was a, oh, a right. round table discussion about how the Locust was the worst band in hardcore, and they were just saying all this shit about the way we looked, and they were like saying how we ruined hardcore for fat kids, which was fucked up to say, and I was like, you know, and then they were talking about our hair, and I was like, dude, we're just poor and playing music, and you guys... Did this whole roundtable discussion that didn't touch upon the music at all? It was like sure. the way we look and like our attitudes, which I guess were pretty bad, but rightfully so because we were just getting shit talked. And it was like a it was like a rollover from like what Antiac Air was dealing with, you know? Because it was like hardcore, like your typical hardcore dudes coming to fight us because we looked weird and and we were just like into playing brutal music, and that was the extent of it. And and so as a joke or by chance, we were we were like. Um, kind of becoming a little bit more, um, I don't want to say successful, because that's a strange word, and I, I, but we were like, oh, we're going to Japan, and so we were on tour, we played in San Francisco, and we went to this thrift store, and they had four furry vests, and we're like, well, let's just buy those and wear those from now on, and we went to Japan with the four furry vests, and had goggles, and like, it made sense in Japan, and we're like, oh shit, we're gonna start wearing uniforms, and so we came back, and kept constantly upgrading yeah. to hot, short, hot Pants or like whatever. And then it became Full Suits. And, and we just kind of um, took cues from bands like Devo and, and, and stuff that I think, or like The Residents and things. Like these bands that were like on, on the kind of like artistic level.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to really quick check the time because we have a... I'm sure we're, how are we doing? Oh, we're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite locust song title? And would you like to hear mine?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I would like to hear yours because I feel like I was saying this Tim earlier, like it would be way cooler if I was asking you the questions because this is your shit. But um title, I mean there's some good ones. Um but I think Would you like to hear mine? Yeah, let's do
0: that. The half-eaten sausage would like to see you in his office. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't take credit for that. That was Joey. But uh, it is a really fucking good Title. It was on the
0: melt banana split, mm-hmm. I think. I remember getting that and reading that and then laughing very hard to myself in the record store. There's a lot too. Even the cover with the penis monster thing and the people crying and shit. Like <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, so do you have one? The rec- oh this title? Um I don't know. I mean, I think that's a good one. But the ones I gravitate to are the ones that, like, if you're from San Diego, there's a song called Kill Roger Hedgecock, and he was the ex-mayor, and he was this piece of shit. And so we were like, let's make a song called Kill Roger Hedgecock, and let's make stickers and put them all over. And I was like, oh, we could totally go to jail for that. Yeah. And it was funny. But he found out about us and was, like, psyched, and it was cool. And I brought... Yeah. He was like, they were like, you know, it was Fox like uh, radio, you know, and so like, sure. he he would have like people call up and they're like, I heard this band saying they want to kill you. And they're like, and then someone else would call and I'd be like, they're on tour in Europe. And he's like, what? That's a real thing? Like that band goes to Europe? You know? Yeah. And they're like... Um, but yeah, we were not, you know, we just learned and, and I'm glad I didn't go, thanks to Roger if he listens to this, you know, we're not, <laughs> not pressing charges, but um, that's a cool one, but I also like um, Anything Jesus Does, I Could Do Better, that's a pretty Ryan's good one. one. Because I like to just like, yeah, here, you know, here, take this one, what do you think about that, jerk? Right, yeah, right,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, as I mentioned with the intro, you've been in, in so many bands, so, so many bands, what, uh, when you go to start something new, also, is it usually just circumstance? Like someone just like, hits you up and says, hey, want to do this? And you just have a hard time saying no? Is that the situation?
1: Starting a band with making it a real band, it's not a hard time. It's not like some rando. Like I've never been like, we don't, you don't know us, but you want to be in our band? I'd be like, fuck No. Um, but starting a band is always something that's, like, pretty much thought out. And it, and it's never, like, it's not me. Uh, and for one, I don't choose to do it. Like, I don't want to start another band. But it's like, this shit sucks and you guys are fighting or whatever. And so I'm going to just start this other thing with these other people that are cool. And I just... But I've been grateful. I mean, I, there's only, like, a couple people that i played with that, like, we don't like each other. But for the most part, everybody, like, still loves each other and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. um, I don't know. What was the question?
0: Um... I guess I could, I mean, we could frame it as, like, what inspires you to want to start a new project, even when you have, like, several but art, I don't, Okay, going.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, because it's, usually people think, like, you're in all these bands, and I'm like, I'm actually only like in two real ones, and then some are just, like, a project that might happen every now and then. Sure. And, and also, too, like, you know how it is, like, you record a record, and then all these things have to happen, and, like, a year later, and so people are like, you're so busy, and you're like, dude, we did that. Two years ago, <laughs> right, you know, sure. yeah. so it's it is a little uh, different, I think. Um, but I don't ever want to like start a new band. It just I'm like, I don't know, like Def Club. Like I didn't really want to start that band. It, it just kind of <laughs> like happened, and I was like, oh, this is killer. These people are rippers, and I want to do a band that's that's better than the other thing that I was doing or whatever, you know. Sure. And, and that's it.
0: Uh, and for people here, Def Club will be playing Saturday. At your show
1: sold out show so if you don't have a ticket you're stuck. <laughs> well hopefully people hit
0: sneak, um, sneak in yeah do that too um but uh but yeah no i'm, I'm also just kind of wondering if there's anything that you're still hoping to try that's like different musically it's like is there anything that you haven't done yet that is like something that interests you
1: oh, always um a couple things like so to 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 things come to mind. One is Some Girls, when that was already a band, and it's funny because Rob Moran gave me this demo that didn't have vocals, and he was like, do you want to put this out on on 31 g And I was like, no, it sounds like a cheap version of Swing Kids or something. And then the 7-inch came out on Deathwish, and I was like, oh, that band's sick. And I think Wes's vocals were great. So I was like, oh, that's cool. And then they asked me to join the band, and and of course, I was like, yeah, I want to play in that band. And then and then Sal and I, the drummer and I, really connected and we're like, oh, like we're writing new music. And he's like, all right, this is the mosh part. And I'm like, I got an idea. Let's play the mosh part, like one, not four. And so, like, everyone goes to start moshing and we just stop. And that's fucking cool. You don't give it to them. So I want to fuck with people, yeah. especially like <laughs> hardcore dudes yeah. or, you know, like people yeah. that like terrible music. And then, so <laughs> I also, like, I, I just learned that I, 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 Need to call myself something different. I thought I was a, a rapper. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, uh, I'm an I'm an MC. Uh, I guess okay. that's what you call yourself when you when you do. But okay. by by default, I I, I aggressively um, MC in a band called Planet B, and so it's like very based in hip hop. And I just. Um, yell a bunch of crazy shit in in these like fr- in the phrasing that kind of is like a rap, I guess. And so I've worked with you know hip hop artists, and 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 they they're like, oh, that's you should do like a rap battle, and you should just do that. And I'm like, no one can understand it, you know. <laughs> but but it is different because you, yeah. you also too, it's a thing I I, I I'm constantly learning because when um, you go and 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 rap or MC or whatever or like a you know rap battle or whatever you're kind of you're like talking and, you're, and you have this pace, but when you're singing in a hardcore band, you need a break. You're like, dude, I'm out of breath. Like all of those syllables took up everything that I had and yeah. now I'm done and we, we have another bar or we have to sing or I have to sing or whatever. So I learned about that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm always trying to learn something.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before I get to the last question, I wanted to ask you because you wrote a book about your life. Um, it came out in 2010, I think I saw it. It's called uh, From the Graveyard of the Arousal Industry. Um, I'm curious how long that actually took you to do. Was that like a project that you had always wanted to do and you were like chipping away at it? Or was it like, I'm doing this this summer and I'm going (laughs) to knock it out? Like, like, it it felt very confident and like in your own head and in your voice, you know, like it felt like it could have been, you know, like something you've been stewing on for a long time.
1: Uh, thank you. I I have I at that point I had no idea what, what I was doing. Kind of like I felt like it was like a like a struggle seven inch. Like I lucked out by having a publishing company that was like kind of cool and on top of their shit. Like. Ebullition was for my first release, so my first you know book. They're like, here, here's an editor that will work with you. And I was like, what does that mean? You know, I didn't really understand, but I didn't really want to write a book. I wrote a, um, <clears throat> I did a tour journal di- diary thing for something when the internet first started being coming a thing, and I and I had all these this stuff that I wrote and I sent it to this um, this. This person, John Waters, um, I sent it to him. We were, like, corresponding about stuff, and I was like, hey, this is what it's like for my band on tour, and you might like this and think it's funny. He's like, oh, you should write a book. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, write a book. And I was like, I don't know. This seems weird. I don't know how to do that. And he's like, well, just write a story, and then and then, and then then see what happens. So I, I wrote a story about um, KISS, and, and how I got duped um, and didn't get to see them when I should have seen them it, it, I was I think I was six years old or something um, and, I, and I was like I'm going to go see KISS and then my mom thought I was too old and I just got Pez candy and I didn't get to see KISS <laughs> So I wrote this story about it, and then, and then it talked about the dog shit thing and all that stuff, right. and the whole, and I sent it to John, he's like, there's the start of your book, and I was like, whoa, okay, and so I just started filling in all these different stories, kind of like you would an album, like I have all these different stories, and I just put them in a linear order, and I was like, book, and that was yeah. it, but I did it, and then, and then we got robbed on tour, the Locust did, and they stole my computer, so I lost my book, and I had to um, find an old file and start all over, and um but I wrote a second book that's better, um, called uh, "How to Lose Friends and Irritate People," and it's about electronic music and how stupid I was for being part of electronic music scene. <laughs> and that is better because I learned, well, I learned like a, an important lesson is when you, when you, when like when you want to um, criticize something, it's better to just to criticize yourself and, instead of other people. Because I don't want to do that, and I and and that. Like, I don't want to criticize, like, the bloody beetroots or designer drugs who I collaborated with, and that's cool that they do their thing, and that's their world. I want to criticize myself for being naive and and just, like, fucking stupid for being like, yeah, I'll go, like, do this thing with you guys. And it was, like, probably some of the dumbest shit I've ever done.
0: Um, So there's that. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Also, do you think that the dog shit aspect is what made John Waters make you want to Good question. I did not think about that. <laughs> um, I would
1: probably say, yeah. <laughs> that guy's a genius. And he, and he And he brings it down to this level of, like, focusing on dog shit.
0: Yeah. That's great. Absolutely. absolutely. That's kind of like punk rock. This is a perfect way to, to segue <laughs> into the last question, which was, Justin, what was the first time that you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards?
1: That's an interesting question because it's kind of like saying, like, what's the meaning of life? And And I still couldn't give you an answer but the interesting thing is and I'm assuming maybe you can relate to this or I don't know maybe I would like to ask you that question let me ask you that question first how about that and then I'll give you my answer is that okay
0: this is a way for you to think more isn't it no 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 I have no no fuck it no I'll just (laughs) no no hold on I'll tell you my answer
1: no No, fuck you dude let me tell you my answer (laughs) okay when I like uh, you know I, I was into skateboarding and I and I discovered um, Thrasher Skate Rock Volume Three and I and it and it sp- I spun out into this insane thing of like septic death and the Accused and all this awesome shit and I was like this is my jam skateboarding and punk rock and 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 hardcore and all and just whatever weird art and 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 I got into it by chance it was an accident or whatever I didn't seek it it's it 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 came to me like it 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 took me and said, you're going to do this. And it sounds like hokey, like some woo-woo shit. But I'm, I'm, I didn't think like, I'm going to be in a band and I'm going to be successful. I didn't think I could ever be in a band. And I didn't think anyone gave a shit about anything I would ever do in my life. But I just was like, I'll do this thing. And then, and then it kind of like happened in, in increments. And then I look back and I'm like, oh fuck, that thing just happened or that has been happening. And now it's like, you know, I'm I'm broke, I'm poor, and that's fine. But I'm rich in the sense that like I have people come up to me on tour almost you know every night or every other night, and they're like, "Dude, like Swing Kids saved my life," or you know, like I don't, whatever, like nice, awesome things that I don't think normal um, artists get to experience. And that is like the craziest wealth to me. Absolutely. Yeah. So you can that's,
0: answer your question now. It's not going to be that good. <laughs> That's a great answer. Everybody give it up for just for that answer. Oh, that was great. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny, because I've been doing this show now for, for a few years, and uh, I, I feel like from hearing other people's stories, it's made me recalibrate my own story and my own life and things like that. Um, and I think one of them for me, if not the one, was... Uh, Touche Amore played Sound and Fury which is a big hardcore festival 2009 and um, we could not have felt more um, not supposed to be there shall we say we were like sandwiched between a lot of bands that um, you know weren't going to Probably watch our set, shall we say, in a nice way of saying it. And uh, there's a funny story where the guy who was actually running the stage, he ended up becoming a friend later on, and he even in- admitted to uh, purposely cutting our set short because he just didn't want to hear us anymore. Whoa. He was just like, yeah, I was just like over it, so I told you guys, you, were, you, like, you guys are done. So, like, we only played for, like, 12 minutes or something, right? But if you watch the footage of that, it's like we have this really insane reaction. And you see in the kids that are coming up and singing along that it's, like, it's a different energy than what was happening the rest of the show. And so that was, like, really fulfilling to be, like, wow, we have our own little thing happening here. And then when we walked off stage, went to the merch table, um, and Trey from Death Wish came up and was, like, hey, how do I get your record? Yeah. Kind of a thing. Yeah. And that's when our relationship with Death was started, and it kind of took off from there. So it was like, it felt very like, this is, we kind of drew a line in the sand a little bit, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I forget what band played after us, but I remember, <laughs> I think the set started with them saying, all right, whatever that was, <laughs> we were just like... Uh, you, you did everything right. Yeah, Like. I, I think it's, so.
1: it's easy to be up there and, like, fart around and be like, oh, you're cool and hardcore. But when you fucking piss everyone off to where they, like, you ruin their shit, where they, like, cut their set short, yeah, those 12 minutes were probably the most sickest 12 minutes, you know, ever. And and good luck, because the next band that was doing the Gorilla Biscuits cover is, like, <laughs> hopeless, you know? <laughs> really, at the end of the day. Because then you have people passionate. Because that's the thing is, like, you guys have the most insane energy that you can't just market or, or, or like, you don't, it doesn't happen. Like you won the lottery, you know, like in some way, like who, like you did it. And that's, and that's, that's the real deal. Energy, like fuck energy.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us for this. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Justin for doing this. Thank you to Brain Dead Studios for allowing this. Thank you to Tim Chris, my editor. And thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now if you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon where Justin answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. Help support the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. And I will see you next week. Be good. Bye-bye. Give it up for Justin Pearson one more time.